Well, praise the Lord, you guys. I thank you guys for coming out again. Hopefully what I have for you guys today is what you actually need. I think it was, it's meant to be. Just kind of like doing the work that I do, I am always like very intimately connected to people's pain and people's burdens and, you know, the, the ravishes of abuse and discomfort and rejection and ridicule. And you see so many Christians come in struggling with these effects, but these things mainly don't really get talked about much. They tend to be kind of sidestepped. And, you know, sometimes when we get saved, we believe we should rise above this stuff. That somehow, you know, me giving my life to God and consecrating to Him and trying to muster up as much faith as I can have in God, that I should somehow be able to jump above all the afflictions that come in my life. And these false ideas actually disturb our faith and trust in God because we desperately want to be better. Nobody wants to feel bad. No one wants to feel burdened and overwhelmed. And you pray and you scream and you cry and you do everything you can to try to alleviate the pain, but it seems never to evade you. So then you ask the question, does this mean that I'm not with God? Does this mean that God is angry with me? Like, what is wrong with me that I cannot get over this? And because we never really face it head on, people can deal with this for years. They can be in the church year in, year out, service in, service out, coming, getting prayed for, running around the church, doing everything possible to try to shout the pain out and it seems not to go anywhere. And we're not helping with that process when we don't give them truth of the scriptures. Because we are not removed from the human experience because we accept God's call on our life. Part of the beauty of the gospel is that he takes regular humans and then infuses us with his spirit, yet not removing our humanity. For some reason, he wanted the humanity to stay intact. Knowing all the burdens that come with being just human, he liked that to stay exactly as it is because I think he believed that we were supposed to show forth his glory in these clay temples. We're supposed to show the world that we have the same experience with you, but ours is different because we have God. Jesus was supposed to be our perfect example of humanity, but... Because we have to emphasize so much that he is God, we stop looking at him being a man. And we miss the lessons of humanity. We miss the lessons that he walked this earth. He was a regular human. He did everything we did. You know, he got up, he slept, he ate, he talked to people, he laughed, he cried, he had pain, he had misery, he got rejected. He felt everything that we feel Yet somehow we don't relate to him as the man. We only relate to him as the God. And he came as the man for a reason. We've got to tap into those lessons so that we can figure out how we're supposed to do this human walk. The Bible was written to show us how people who chose God still are very human. But yet again, we have excused their stories. Instead, we keep letting Satan play the same tricks on us that he did with Eve. You can be like God. 
He keeps seducing us with his ultimate goal, which is to be like the Most High. Yet even though we don't really see it, we still keep getting tricked. Because remember, he wants your faith. So that if he can make you think you can be just God, you don't really need Jesus. But look at how we almost embody, supposedly, we're supposed to be sinless. False. No way you're going to be sinless. We're supposed to rise above everything. No way you're going to do all that. So when I try to be God and act like I can do what God does, I lose the fact that I'm a human. I'm not supposed to be God. There's attributes of God I'll never have. I've got no sea of forgetfulness to throw stuff into. It stays with me. So that means I'm carrying everything that folks done to me right here in my heart. I can move on. I can try to ignore it. I can try to even forget it. But you just bring back a little trigger. It's coming back. Because I don't have the abilities that God has. I don't have the ability to love like God. Because I'm not God. He can do that thing. He's beautiful. I'm just me and Clay. So I don't have to make myself be God to be able to identify that I am a saved human. I can be a saved human and let God save me. So our human emotions are also God-given. He gave them to us for a reason. He likes feelings and he felt them. The Bible doesn't demonize feelings, so why do we? Why have we called something God created as awful and to be avoided? We have endured some really bad stuff in life, and we come to God in hopes to quiet the storm. But what happens more often than not is we get an extra weight added to a bag that is already dragging on the ground. We hear false assumptions of saints. Don't show sadness. You're not supposed to show fear. You can't grieve too long. Shout until you're happy. Don't let the world see you in agony. We got all this stuff going on, and all that's happened is that we're losing touch with God in the process. Because all these false ideas tells us that we can't be fully human and still please God. These things tear away at our faith and trust of God because if they are not permitted, then why won't he take it away? Surely we do not want to have them. We beg and we plead for them to go, but they are still there. So they are there to teach us something. But the truth is, is that we are humans in a God experience. We were never supposed to stop being human. We are supposed to show forth the glory of God in our human condition. So my hope is to break the yokes that are weighing us down. Christ said that his yoke was easy and light. Why are we feeling so heavy and tied down? That means we're not carrying what God told us to carry. Part of why we're so burdened is because a lie is always heavier than the truth. A lie is an illusion that is light. But in truth, it's always going to be heavy to carry. So if the Bible is our blueprint to how to deal with life, and it gives us examples of how God views things, then we should rest on those examples alone. Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. We've all read this. 
It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Now that is what we're all called to do. In Luke 4 and 18, Jesus references the same passage as to himself. So if we are to be like Christ, then this is the message we are to bring. Bring the good news, the gospel, to the poor, to the meek. And that denotes the afflicted, the distressed, or the needy. Those depressed in mind or in circumstance. He sent me to comfort or bind up the brokenhearted. Now this denotes the heart, the feelings, the will, even the intellect that has burst. To bind up means to wrap firmly and to heal. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty denotes to move rapidly, to give freedom, spontaneity of outflow. Captives denote people who have been transported into captivity. What people have endured in their lives have made them captive to it. So we are here to proclaim to them that you can be free, that it can become spontaneous, that there is a way to get out of what's been binding you. Opening of the prison to those who are bound, the opening of, the, the opening of denotes deliverance. Bound denotes that those who have yokes. Also, we are to join the battle of those who were yoked or bound. Now, that's one aspect we don't really want to do because we're a little too consumed with our own stuff. So I don't really want to bind with your stuff. And we got to do this together. That's not really what I'm looking forward to. But that's just the, what the Bible says. It says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That is now time that God has given liberty through him universal emancipation from this shameful bondage and to restore to all privilege of being the freedom of the Lord. So if we are to look at our ministry, because once you take on the call of God, you take on ministry. You don't have to call yourself minister such and such and all that other stuff that we love to throw titles around with, but you are called to give the gospel to somebody. These are the people we're supposed to look for. But instead, we look for those that look like they got a little together. Because I don't really want to be fooling with your stuff. Okay, instead of beating the people down because of their condition, we are to heal, deliver, join in the battle with them, because the Lord has really created them to be freed men. It is already yours. My job is simply to proclaim to you that you already have it. Now, part of the problem is the fact that us been in this walk for some time don't know we free yet. We don't have the proclamation over our lives. So if I don't know it, how can I give it to someone else? But this is where it was supposed to start. We kind of have some false starts. We started with acting as if we was already free. As if we already got together because we got out the water. God blessed us with the tongues, and we were like, I'm new. But we never went through this process. I didn't go through binding my stuff. I didn't go through somebody walking through it with me. We just leave you to the side, and hopefully you're going to figure it out on your own. 
So we all a little, you know, distressed and a little crazy up in here. And we trying to figure out how am I supposed to show forth God? Nobody really told me that. I can tell you how to be saved. I can tell you that God is one. I can tell you all the things that you need to hear, but I cannot tell you how for you to be free and how to have your yokes light. If we look at Isaiah 1 and 17, it says, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphan, fight for the rights of the widows. Now, I find it interesting that he must instruct us to do good. Because somehow some folks weren't doing good. Learn means to become accustomed to it and to practice it. So he needed us to learn what good was. To do good means to stand opposed to all kinds of evil. Part of the problem is we don't know what's evil and what's just sinful. They are different. But we've called, we think we're doing something because we're screaming about behavioral sins and we haven't figured out what the evils are. See, the evils are the things that then tear us up in the inside. These are the things that destroy our very beings. We are to stand up against it. So the semicolon in this denotes that this is what it looks like to be good. He says seeking justice or to relieve judgment. So relieve means to be honest, proper, straight, to pursue, search, and care for justice. To execute justice between man without impartiality. He says to help the oppressed. That is him to whom injustice has been done in regard to his character, person, or property. He says to defend the orphan or the fatherless. So the root meaning of orphan or fatherless. To be lonely or a bereaved person. Now, how many lonely folks we know? How many people are bereaved? Hmm. Do justice to him. Vindicate his cause. Take not advantage of his weak and helpless condition. His ignorance and want of experience. Orphans have no experience. Parents are their natural protectors. And therefore, God is specially charged for us to be guardians, to be friend, and to justice to them. Fight for or plead the rights of the widow. To plead means to wrangle or to defend. The widow denotes a desolate house, someone that has deficiency. So you start saying, because you know, like we look at orphan, oh, that's somebody ain't got no parents. I know a few of them, okay, go to the side. The widow, don't know a few of them, whatever, that doesn't really belong to me. But when you look what the words mean, we all know people like that. We all know someone lonely and desolate and bereaved and doesn't have anyone that has guided them or instructed. We all know these people. We are to take care of them. This is what the body of Christ was about. It wasn't about us coming down and, and dressing up and sitting in a pew and ushering, and singing in a choir, and, and, and putting on a skirt and a tie. It wasn't about that. It was never about that. It was always about this. And I get so offended. Ugh. 
uh, excuse me, just hate when we mess up what he set up to do. Because <sighs> so many people are hurting. And it's not supposed to be that way. But it's our responsibility. It's not for us to hand to someone else. It's not supposed to say, well, you go take care of it. Give it to the government. Oh, they got a little extra money. They take. That's not what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be each and every one of us. We cannot excuse ourselves. We can't say, but I didn't know. I didn't want to do it, but it's here. Pick up the book and read it. This is what he's ordered us to do. Do you think he's going to change his mind? Do you think he gives you a pass because you came and sat for 20 years? Whose life has you touched? Whose life have you changed? We've got to do what he says. Our gospel has to be about him and him alone. Is Jesus the sinner or are you the sinner? Is your tradition the sinner? Is your denomination the sinner? Or is it Jesus? And we wonder why he's going to come to the end. He, I knew you. He said, I don't know you. You ain't done no work for me. You got a bunch of iniquity around you. We just don't want it to be us that he says it to. Like this is really serious. So then you will see often we're in the Bible, it tells us to protect the fatherless and the widow, to do justice. That is mentioned so many times. Go do a search for the fatherless and the widow. From the Old Testament to the New, he was so serious about this. We don't get to pass on this one. But these are often not spoken of, and I wonder why. Is it because this makes you get out of your comfy pew and actually do some work? Because it makes you actually care for someone else. When you get involved in other people's lives, you have to care for them unless you just got a cold heart. You become a part of their issue. You take on their burdens. We're selfish. And we should all stand up and confess before our Lord that I am selfish. And please forgive me for my selfishness. Forgive me that I don't want to get involved in others' lives. Forgive me for not wanting to get out of my comfort zone and only care about me. Because, Lord, look how much stuff I got. Why I got to care about somebody else? Look at my life. I hope it works. <laughs> but note that at no time does he say to lie, act like it's not true, or be ashamed of it. He didn't tell us to till the widow and the orphan to, to cover that up. Well, act like you're happy. Act like you're not desolate. Shout. Say how wonderful I am. You don't see him say that. He says, you pick up for them. This is where they are. This is who they are. They get to stay there until I come and relieve them. What he told us was to look out for each other. That's what he told us. Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. Just giving us a little charge. It says, stay on good terms with each other. Held together by love. Be ready, excuse me, with a meal or a bed when it's needed. Why some have extended hospitality to angels without ever knowing it. Regard prisoners as if you were in prison with them. Now, you know we ain't doing that. We put folks in prison and we forget about them. You shouldn't have did the crime. 
deal with the punishment. He says, act as if you were in prison with them. Hmm. Look on victims of abuse as if what happened to them had happened to you. That's deep. But we don't even know who's been abused. Because we don't want folks to talk about their stuff. Just talk about the glory of God. Just talk about all that he's done for you. But he says, I get to mention this. Because if we're not mentioning it, how would you know? So when I give you my burden, I want you to act like it happened to you. See, that's empathy. Something we didn't forgot about somehow. And us as Christians should really be empathetic people because that's who God was. Jesus took on our sins. He took on our burdens. He felt everything that we were going to feel. He became us. But we want to say, I'm like Christ. Are you? In what aspect? I mean, I think we should just all ask ourselves that. In what way am I really like Christ? Is the list short or long? If we're honest. It's a little scary though. Because we're falling short a lot. Galatians 6, 2 through 3. It says, share each other's troubles and problems. And so obey our Lord's command. If anyone thinks he is too great to stoop to this, he is fooling himself. He is really a nobody. I don't want God to think of me as a nobody because I'm not willing to stoop down and lift somebody up. So let's look at what God calls pure and let's see if we stand up to that because we all feel like we got the right way, especially us good apostolics. We got the way. We know this. We got the pure religion. So let's just see what he says. James 1 and 27 Pure religion, genuine religion, in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Wow. Well, that's just it? Could you add that I come to church? Could, could you add that I gave my tithes? Could you add something? I need more than just I got to care for the orphans and the widows and refuse to let the world corrupt me. Well, see, we like the end part because then I can say I'm not touched by the world. But what was he talking about when he said letting the world corrupt you? So what is pure religion in the sight of God? His vision is the only one that really matters. We claim Again, taking care of the fatherless and the widow in their afflictions, pressures, anguish, burdens, and trouble. Again, fatherless denotes those who are comfortless, lonely, bereaved, untaught, or unprotected. The widow denotes deficiency, desolate, left, unwhole, unprotected as well. So refusing to let the world corrupt you, the systems of the world that go against the revealed will of God, We love the self-centered religion that lets me concentrate only on me and my sin. But that is not what Jesus emphasized. We have to start rewriting what is important. The world system says take care of you. 
the rule system says it's about you. You can't be bothered with other folks. Do your thing. Do you. Jesus says, no, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to take care of others. So ask yourself, is your religion pure and genuine according to God's views? And I say all this to get to these points. Because y'all know I kind of go around sometimes. Because I want us to learn how to be honest in whatever condition we are in. Sometimes we have not found the help we need because we're too afraid to ask for it. We're too embarrassed to say we are in need. We're too embarrassed to say I am in pain. I am in trouble. My heart has been grieved. The abuses I have endured are tearing me asunder. I'm too ashamed and afraid to stand there and cry week in, week out until the pain is gone. So instead I mask it and I act like everything is okay and I act like my life is dandy, and I come in and we smile and we may drink a cup of tea and we do all this little stuff, but I never know what's going on in your life. Because we're not connected to each other. I, I, I barely even know your last name. I didn't know you for 20 years and I don't even know, I, don't, I ain't never been to your house. I don't even know what kind of car you do. I don't even know what you do for work. I don't know you. That's not how it was supposed to be. That's not what the body he was creating. He said that we were joined together. Like the feet and the hands and the body. We was a body. We not nobody. We are dismembered folks. All over doing whatever we want to do. A little hand over here, a little foot over there. We not connected. We should honestly assess the fact that this is not what we want to do. That we have recreated the religion to fit our own views. And this is what we hope God is going to accept from us. Good Lord, come that day, Jesus, I did try. Excuse me. May your grace and mercy cover the fact that I don't want to follow what you created. And we should just be honest about it. Because all this lying and carrying on, that's not cute either. So God did not come and ask us to be him. God came and asked us to assist him with each other and to be honest. Showing forth the glory of God in our humanity. So 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4. And it says, what a wonderful God we have. He is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the source of every mercy and the one who so wonderfully comforts and strengthens us in our hardships and trials. And why does he do this? So that when others are troubled, needing our sympathy and encouragement, we can pass on to them this same help and comfort God has given us. The only reason why he does what he does to help us so that we can help somebody else. Otherwise, you know, he could just leave us a mess. But I need you to, I'm going to help you. You can help somebody else. You can say, I've been right there. I remember when I didn't have nothing. I remember when we was broke. I remember when my mama walked out. I remember when my daddy slapped me. I remember when my uncle raped me. We were supposed to share this to say, but God comforted me. Because someone comforted me. Not just God up in heaven doing his miraculous stuff, which he does. You know, some deep healings is just a supernatural kind of thing. But I am better when I have a shoulder to lean on. I am helped when I have someone to hold my hand and walk me through it. I'm not good by myself. I cannot do this alone. 
So he senses comfort inside of the hardship and the trials. He doesn't say not to feel it, hide from it, lie about it, shout about it, pray it away, which is what we really do. Do it, take it away. He says, no, I'm going to need to strengthen you in it so that while you're in it, you're going to comfort somebody else. So how can you comfort someone if you're afraid and ashamed of your story? You can't even talk about how God blessed you, delivered you, relieved you from your stuff because you acting like you ain't got no stuff. Or even how he's holding you, comforting you, and carrying you while you're in it. Now, sometimes when we get past it, say 10 years later, we can say, oh, yeah, I remember when I was there. And, you know, I kind of pass it on to you. But we're supposed to do it in the middle of it. It's not always supposed to be just at the end. I'll, I'll tell you how I got delivered after. Tell me where you at right now. Then we could be a hot mess together. You can cry one day. I get to cry the next. You fall out here, I'll fall out there. We can just lay here and cry together. That's what it was supposed to be. That's how you connect. You do not connect, excuse me, through perfection. You only connect through struggle. We're fallible people, y'all. We've been messed up so often. Our lives are a half wreck. We've been messed up, we've been unloved, we've been uncared for, we got all this stuff going on. Why can't we connect through that? Why can't we say that's where I'm at? Why is that so embarrassing? When you know almost everybody didn't been there, somebody didn't dealt with something, why am I embarrassed by it? It so goes against the scriptures though. Because, see, the apostles gladly talked about their suffering, their persecution, and their trials. This was part of the message for them. And they went to convert the world. They wasn't denying the people that they was coming up on. They were like, we didn't we been in prison. They didn't beat us up. They didn't done all this stuff. Like, this is hard. Like, if somebody came to us and was like, okay, that's Jesus because I got beat up and I got in prison and don't nobody like me no more. And I, we would be like, oh, that's not the Jesus we should be delivering. Because what do we deliver? He's going to take all your pain away. He's going to ease all your troubles. You got heaven. We sell Jesus like Amway. <laughs> let me tell you the prize and let me tell you the program. And let me tell you how to put it in a nice package and deliver it. And that's what we deliver, a well-packaged Jesus that is completely not in touch with our humanity. So then I give you that, and you open the box, and you say, oh, that's how you do it. Okay, so let me put on my pantyhose and put on my long dress, put on a hat. Let me go get rid of all my jeans and my T-shirts and put on my suit and tie and act like this is how I live. And let me come sit on the pew. Oh, we're supposed to clap now. Oh, I wave now? Oh, now it's time to run? Okay, and that's it. And then I'm walking out and I'm saying, was that it? Because my troubles are still sitting, looking me in my face when I get in my car as I ride down the street crying because God never touched my pain. And no one saw it. I sit next to you every Sunday and you never saw my glare. You never saw the fact that my head was down and my smile was fake. And why? Because mine is fake too. And I don't want you to call mine out, so I'm sure I'm not going to call yours out. 
So let's just do it together. Not what he died for. He died for us. He took a beating for us. Not for this stupid foolishness that we have been professing. I know somebody gonna hear this and think I'm stone crazy, but that's okay. So let us go through some scriptures depicting what the Bible folks had to say about different things. And let me add before we start that if we were to honor our stuff and embrace it, God would have more free range to help us in it. He's not going to deliver you from something you won't confess. All this line stops the hand of deliverance. So if you're mad that you haven't been delivered, that no one has come to your aid, that no one is helping to take care of you, it's because you have shut your own mouth. Why don't you pray and ask God to bring someone to you? And won't you be willing to give your heart to someone else so that they can help you? It's not all Jesus' fault. A lot of it is our own. So we're going to throw through. Now, this is the truth of our existence. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. And we've all read this. So it says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but not crushed and broken. We are perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and keep going. These bodies of ours are constantly facing death, just as Jesus did. So it is clear to all that it is only the living Christ within who keeps us safe. Now, when I'm pressed and when I'm perplexed and when I've been hunted down and when I've actually been knocked down is when I actually get to speak those things. Because then I'm going to come and I'm going to tell you, but you're not crushed and you haven't been broken and you get to get back up. But instead, what we do is we, oh, God, I can't say that. People are going to know my life is a wreck. Then how do you get the deliverance you need? How do you get to hear the word that you need to hear? See, our walk with God is not just horizontal. It must become vertical. It's not just, it's not me and Jesus alone. I don't know who made that up. It's a great song and a great thing to yell out, but it's not the truth. He didn't want it to just be us and him. He wanted us to be all of us. But because we're so disenfranchised, and like almost from birth, a lot of us have had poor parents. Nobody to really love and care and cuddle and hug us and take care of us and tell us that a unit is what it's supposed to be. So we're all fatherless in some form or fashion. You see, we've all been neglected in some form or fashion. So I don't really know how to do that. So I'm like, somebody teach me. And that's how we're supposed to come together and give that to one another. I may have a little bit of nurturing, so I can give you that. But you may have a little bit of protection, and you give me that. You may know how to do this, and you give me that, and I know how to do that, and I give you that, and then we become whole. I share what I have. 
Because although we all have been broken, we all actually have some great assets too. So I need to know what you know. I need you to teach me you. Because none of us know it all. We're all ignorant about something. And it's okay to be ignorant. Like we didn't act like that's wrong. We're ignorant to a lot of things. And that's okay. But you have knowledge that I don't have. Give me your knowledge. I want it. So let's look honestly at some of the God followers. Now, do you have the courage to be this honest with God and with others? Ask yourself this as we read through these. Psalms 88, 13 through 18. He says, I'm standing my ground, God, shouting for help. At my prayers every morning on my knees each daybreak. Why, God, do you turn a deaf ear? Why do you make yourself scarce? For as long as I remember, I've been hurting. I've taken the worst you can hand out, and I've had it. Your wildfire anger has blazed through my life. I'm bleeding black and blue. You've attacked me fiercely from every side, raining down blows till I'm nearly dead. You made lover and neighbor alike dump me. The only friend I have left is darkness. See, we like to read the happy psalms. And this psalm is one of the only psalms that does not have a turnaround. Most psalms you read, they'll say they peace. But it's always a turnaround. But I know God. And he has delivered me. This man didn't get a turnaround. Some of us don't feel like we have a turnaround. But we're not even idling us to talk to God like this. Because we've been told you don't speak to Jesus that way. He's going to get you. Only praises. But that goes so against scripture. The people of the Bible were so honest. I don't know how we bought into falsity. They bore their souls to God. And this was before the grace and mercy. This, this was just, you could actually just smite me and I'm just going. But they said, I'm a trust <laughs> that you're going to hear me. Job. And we talk bad about Job. Job has gotten a bad rap. But Job was, Job was wise because he needed answers. Now you didn't took everything I have. You think I'm not going to talk back to you? Because everything I've had. But think, oh, look what God did for him. We have betrayed God speaking back to him as an angry God. And ain't God coming down on him like, how dare you talk about me? Yeah, you, I formed you. You know what I do? I see it differently. I see it as God saying, you know what? I know what I did to you. I know what I let the devil take from you. Let me tell you who I am. Because after I tell you who I am and how magnificent I am and how much power I have, you will sit down and realize I got your life in my hand. See, we don't know God like that. Because I'm not willing to ask God questions. I'm not willing to fuss at God and tell him I don't like what you did. You know, a closed mouth don't get fed, as they say. That's why we don't know Jesus. Because we don't want to inquire in his temple. We want to just sit there with our mouth closed and hope supernaturally because he knows all things. 
He wants a relationship. He wants you to talk back. He wants you to tell him when you're mad. He wants you to tell him when you're disappointed, when you're upset. He wants to hear all of it. And you ain't got to sugarcoat it and act like, well, you know, God, I kind of feel. No, just go on and say it. Because he already know your heart might as well put it out there. That's right. I got here because when my mother died, I, I had no filter. And you are something else. How dare you do this? And you say you love me? Because if you love me, why would you put me through this pain? See, I get she's on the other side, but did you forget me in the process? Did you forget how my heart was going to be broken and you claim that's love? So we went at it for a while. Till he told me to shut up. He did tell me to shut up like you didn't. All right, sweetie. Then got a little cured away that night. Okay. I remember, too, I was driving home in a bunch of traffic and I was going at it. And he shut up. Okay. I heard you. Uh, sorry. But I know him now the way I know him. Because I, I, I have no, no, no arms up, no bars. I'm just me. This is where I stand, Jesus. Help me understand and figure it out. You know, I don't mean no disrespect, but I got no other way to say it. Get to know Jesus like that. It's okay. He's really wonderful. And he wants us to know him. That's the crazy thing. He wants to be known. The almighty God wants your little self to know him. this is what he wants. Job 3, 20. He says, why does God bother giving light to the miserable? Why bother keeping bitter people alive? Those who want in the worst way to die and can't. Who can't imagine anything better than death? I see we talk about people that want to commit suicide. This is where they are. Some people's lives are so bad that the only way out is death in their mind. Let's not shun them. Let's not shame them. And let's not embarrass them. And let's not act like they're that far from God because this is how they feel. Because remember, Job was a man that God said, I know he won't walk away from me. You can do whatever you want to him, Satan, and he will stand with me. But this man wanted to die. This perspective. Who count the day of their death and their burial the happiest day of their life? What's the point of life when it doesn't make sense? When God blocks all the roads to meaning. Instead of bread, I get groans for my supper and then leave the table and vomit my anguish. The worst of my fears has come true. What I've dreaded most has happened. My repose is shattered, my peace destroyed. No rest for me. Ever death, even death, excuse me, has invaded my life. It's honesty. Psalms 38, 17 through 22. I am on the edge of losing it. The pain in my gut keeps burning. I'm ready to tell my story of failure. I'm no longer smug in my sin. My enemies are alive and in action, a lynch mob after my neck. I give out good and get back evil from God-haters who can't stand a God-lover. Don't dump me, God, my God. Don't stand me up. Hurry and help me. I want some wide-open space in my life. Now, there comes a time in your life when you feel completely hemmed in and you just want to breathe. 
I can't even catch a breath because stuff keeps happening. Psalm 69 and 29. He just simply says, I'm hurt and in pain. Give me space for healing in mountain air. Just let me breathe. How many of us need to confess this? Just hurting in pain. Just need a little breath and a little air. Job 30, 16 through 19. And now my life drains out as suffering seizes and grips me hard. Night gnaws at my bones. The pain never lets up. I am tired hand and foot. My neck is a noose. I twist and turn. Thrown face down in the muck. I'm a muddy mess inside and out. Psalms 13, 1 and 2. Long enough, God. You've ignored me long enough. I've looked at the back of your head long enough. Long I've carried, long enough, excuse me, I've carried this ton of trouble. Lived with a stomach full of pain. Now, how many times have you got to the place where you feel like God don't even hear you? You didn't cry, you didn't scream, you didn't yell, you didn't done all that, and nothing is getting relieved. Do you shut your mouth or do you keep screaming? Psalms 31, 9 through 10. Be kind to me, God. I'm in deep, deep trouble again. I've cried my eyes out. I feel hollow inside. My life leaks away, groan by groan. My gears fade out in size. My troubles have worn me out, turned my bones to powder. Psalms 116, 3 through 4. Death stared me in the face. Hell was hard on my heels. Up against it, I didn't know which way to turn. And then I called out to God for help. Please, God, I cried out. Save my life. Hmm. Yet according to scripture, God uses us to help save each other when we are in despair. But we don't want to sign up for that. Will you share your despair with others? Are you going to just sit there and wait for God to do something to drop down from heaven? And this scripture I find very interesting for the fact that this is often how we make people feel when they do express their despair. Because, you know, you come in and you're kind of happy and you think people are going to be good to you. And you start giving a little bit of your heart and you realize nobody really wants it. So you close it back up and you put it back in your back pocket and you shut your mouth. Sometimes I think we mean well because we're all working with some faulty information. But this is often the result. Job 16, 2 through 5. And he says this to his friends. I have had all I can take of your talk with a bunch of miserable comforters. Is there no end to your windbag speeches? What's your problem that you go on and on like this? If you were in my shoes, I could talk just like you. I could put together a terrific harangue and really let you have it. But I'd never do that. I count, console you and comfort you, and I would make things better, not worse. But what happens sometimes is that we have been hurt and then we hurt others. We have been told to shut our mouths and then when the person comes to us, we tell them to shut theirs. 
Instead of realizing that I didn't like it when it was done to me, I shouldn't have done that to anyone else. But then we're too arrogant to go back and apologize and say, you came to me with your heart in your hand and I slapped it. And for that, I am a sorry. Makes a difference to acknowledge when you mess up. It makes a difference for you to go back and say, I messed you over and I shouldn't have did that. And don't give an excuse. Just say, I'm sorry, I did X, Y, and Z, and leave it there. Because we all have a little blood on our hands. So did you learn from when people did it to you so you don't repeat the same offenses to others? So look what the scripture says about what you can gain if you learn from the suffering. Job again, he's so knowledgeable. 36 and 15. He says, but those who learn from their suffering, God delivers them from their suffering. What has your suffering taught you? Or have you avoided it so much that you didn't let it teach you nothing? So you had to sit down with your suffering and study it. You got to let it be your guide to show you about you, to show you about life, to show you about others. This is why we can't hide it and lie about it and turn our back on it. We've got to sit down and embrace it. Let it be your friend. Let it show you something about you. Let it show you something about God. Because when he starts teaching you in the suffering, that's when you get deliverance. Ecclesiastes 7 and 3. He says, sorrow is better than laughter. For sadness has a refining influence on us. But we hate sorrow. We run from it. We do vices to cover it. I drink, I smoke, I have sex, I shop, I eat. I do all these things so I don't have to feel my sorrow. But the sorrow is there to refine you. is to pull out the impurities in you. You can't hide from it or run from it. You must sit with it. Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to sit in your sorrow so it can refine you and so that you can be influenced by God? We keep saying we want to be like God. This is how he does it. We can't change what he created. And I'm not sure if we believe these verses. We read them, but I don't know if we believe them. And we should confess if we do not and ask God to give us a believing heart. So every scripture that you read and you don't believe, you don't keep reading it a hundred times so that you can quote it. You sit down with it and say, God, I don't believe this word. Give me a believing heart so that I know that it is truth. Each verse that you don't believe, each word that you don't believe, you sit down and say, I don't believe you. Now show me how this is real. You know how people say, if you don't believe one part of the Bible, you don't believe none of it. Well, that's really silly. Because first of all, we haven't read all of it. And not to the extent that I could sit down and say, I believe every word of it. 
So that's nonsense. Just go by what you're reading each day, each week, each month. If you're stuck on a verse for a whole month because you haven't come to belief yet, then that means God has something right there in that verse for you. No one said you had to read a chapter a day. No one said that you had to read, you know, verse after verse after verse. It's enough just right there. Maybe he needs you to sit there. We move too fast. That's why we can quote, but we don't know. He's not impressed. Romans 5 and 3. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us and they help us learn to be patient. Let's pause there. Just how often are you rejoicing when you run into just rejoicing? You know what rejoicing means? Rejoicing? No, we don't do that. And we don't fully believe that. And we don't like patience. I don't want to learn that. I want you to do what I say when I say it, and that's it. And patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. We're going to pause again. Strength of character. Oh, we hardly talk about character anymore. We don't talk about character. You know that going back, learn good, mean to practice good? That's character. Not you don't sin. Not you can say I ain't drank in 50 years. And I don't have sex with folks. And I don't cuss. And I don't gamble. And I don't do all these others. Do good. But patience is the thing that develops character. Because we don't want to learn patience, we lack character. And helps us trust God more each time. So every time you must wait, you're learning to trust God. And it depends how you're waiting now. Are you waiting in disbelief or are you waiting believing? That God's going to do something. I don't see it. Sometimes I vacillate between belief and unbelief. That's okay. I can admit that. But as we develop strength of character, he helps us trust God more each time. So that means he's going to build upon it. You got docked down here. Your, your faith was a little weak. Your trust was a little, but then you got hit again because he needs you to trust him. So some of us keep getting hit upside the head because he needs us to trust him. You keep not wanting to trust him, so he has to make you trust him. Because, see, love and trust go together. So I need you to love me and trust me. I want you to know I'm on your side. So if I have to take you here to prove to you I got you, that's the role we're going to have to take. So he says, each time we use it, that trust and that character until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. The aim is to get the faith that is strong and steady because without faith, impossible. That word impossible is really big. You can't please God. 
So faith is essential in this. He wants this strong and steady. He does not want it doing all this. He doesn't want every time you get a blow, then you lose faith in God. He wants it strong, steady. But how do you get that? You get it through having problems and trials. Learning patience in them. Letting that patience develop character and trust in you until you have strong and steady faith. See, it's a process. Isaiah 40 and 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Mount up with wings as eagles. They should run and be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He says there's an ability in us never to faint. Wouldn't you love to get there? To where you just are walking and you know no matter what comes, nothing's going to make you faint. Your knees are never going to buckle. This is possible. But we almost kind of believe like we're going to always be a little weak. No, he says we can walk and not faint. Run and not get weary. That means you can just keep doing lap after lap after lap. But how do you get there? If you wait on the Lord to renew your strength. You got to wait. Verse 5 in Romans 3 and 5. He says, now this is after the, the trials and the rejoicing. Right? Then we get the patience. We get the character. Then we get the faith and the trust. He says, then when this happens... We are able to hold our heads high no matter what happens and know that all is well for we know how dearly God loves us and we feel this warm love everywhere within us because God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Do you see the process? See, we, we read this stuff too fast, but we didn't pick up everything. We have to make sure that we're following step by step. And it's so easy when you know how to quote the scriptures to let them rumble off your tongue, but they haven't touched your heart at all because you don't understand them. So I'm going to end with 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. But I'm only going to emphasize the first phrase and the last phrase of the scripture. We tend to jump too fast and again, we fail to see the step by step. And we miss the ifs in the Bible. The ifs are really huge. Because the if means that there's a condition that has to happen for you to get what follows. So 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. And behold, all things are become new. Now, we love to give this at the beginning of someone's salvation. You're a new creation. Look at my hands, they new. Feet look new. Right? I feel new. So I'm walking out thinking I'm new. Oh, I, I got something going. I'm not going to have them thoughts no more. That old stuff, is, it's passed away. It's gone. I got about that good water and, and, and it's spoken the tongues and it's over. I'm new. I'm fresh. Life is going to be beautiful. And see, us that's been in this for a minute knows that that was completely false. But let's look what this means. So the phrase, so there, if any man be in Christ, we're going to just stop there. 
to be in Christ evidently means to be united to Christ by faith or to be in him as the branches in the vine that is so united to the vine or so in it as to derive all its nourishment and support from it and to be sustained entirely by it. Are you there? Is your faith that attached to God to say that every strength and nourishment comes from God? Are you doing some things on your own? We can confess we are. To be in Christ. So in Christ denotes a more tender and close union. And it implies that all our support is from him. All our strength is derived from him. And denotes further that we shall partake of his fullness and share in his joy and glory as the branch partakes of the strength and vigor of the parent vine. The affirmation here is universal. If any man be in Christ, that is all who become true Christians, undergo such a change in their views and feelings as to make it proper to say of them that they are new creatures. No matter what they have been before, whether moral and moral, whether infidels or speculative believers, whether amiable or debased, sensual and polluted, yet if they become Christians, they all experience such a change as to make it proper to say that they are new creations. But have you become that much into Christ? See, we jump so fast and we want it to be so quick that we don't sit and teach. You got to get to know God. You got to let your struggle show you God. You got to let him teach you faith. Because when you first come in, you don't have faith. You have a belief, but you don't have a knowing. And a knowing and a belief are two different things. So as you build your faith in God, you start becoming like God. You start getting into God. You start saying, I know everything comes from him. You start saying, I can trust him with everything. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He'll never let me down. Even when I'm on the floor, I'm saying he'll never let me down. Even when I don't have a dime in my pocket and I'm hungry, I am saying he's going to provide. Even if I'm homeless on the street, I have this knowledge that God is going to do what he's supposed to do for me. See, this is where we've got to get to. We sell ourselves short because we don't want to work that work in us. I don't want to be pressed that hard. I don't want to have to be forced to say that there's a possibility that my life is going to look a wreck. And I still have to say that God loves me and he's in control. See, we miss that part. We just want it to be pretty. But if we learn from the apostles, look at their lives. It was hectic. It was hellish. And they never doubted that God was with them. That's crazy. Like, how do you stand here with this much affirmation when you are going through what you're going through and you're only going through because you literally were sent out from God to do this? 
that's the kind of God we serve. See, then we don't want to look at Jesus that way. You send me to go into despair? You've saved me so that I can be wounded? That's not supposed to be it. You're supposed to save me so that my life will be beautiful and then I can show the world how beautiful my life is and they will say, oh, because your life is so beautiful, I want your Jesus too. He flipped it. He said, your lives are going to start looking crazy. You about to go through some stuff. You about to lose people. You about to, to, to get to the worst of the worst that you ever could experience. And I expect you to stand firm and strong and say, but God loves me. I'm going to preach that. But this is the truth of our walk. Go back to Corinthians and we're pressed. We're pushed. We're perplexed. We're saying, why did this happen? But I love you, God. I gave my life to you. That's why it happened. That's why. This is not a walk in the park. This is hard stuff. The devil is the one that gives ease. You just follow him. He's going to make it work. And we're like, oh, look how easy their life is. <sighs> they don't ever go through nothing. They seem to have their bills paid. They, they got a car and they got some clothes and they never stress. Their health is good. You know, evil folks can live a long time. <laughs> Untouched. Right? They be looking good. They got it. They just as smooth with it. And you're like, but I'm over here looking all rat-a-tat and carrying on, and I'm with Jesus? He says, but that's why I love you. Because see, you're willing to look like me. Because remember me up on that cross. I was naked. You want to be like me, right? Everybody despised me, but you want to be like me. I was beat and bruised and spit upon and tricked and betrayed by the people I give life to. But you want to be like me. You don't want to be like God. We don't want to be like Jesus. No, I don't. I just want heaven. Because then all my pain is gone and all the sadness is gone and I get to be happy forever. Well, there's a price you pay to get there. And it's called life with Christ. And that's why he said you should count up the cost before you start the journey. But we don't let people count up the cost. We just rush them. He said this is what it's going to cost you to be with me. Now looking back, would you choose Jesus? All the hell you've been through, would you choose Jesus? And there's no guarantee it's getting better. It may get worse. We may lose again. We hope not. I hope not. I hope I've had enough pain to just last for the journey. But I know it's not guaranteed. So what am I going to do with it when it hits me again? Do I get to say, but what I learned don't matter? Jesus, you left me. I get to doubt you again. I get not to have trust again. 
at some point in time, we got to get tired of that roller coaster. We got to get tired of going up and down. And I love you, Jesus, but, uh, you know, I love you sometimes. I trust you because things are good. Now you've disappointed me. You don't, I don't believe you. Your scriptures are a lie. We got to get tired of that. We may not say all that stuff, but, you know, how we live and think and our hearts. You know, it's, we got to get tired. At some point in time, we got to say enough's enough. But the beauty of God is that he's never going to leave us. And he's going to make us be who he called us to be before he comes to get us. So you can do it willingly or you can fight like crazy. But at the end of the day, he does win. And you will be that gold that he created. Now we get to decide how long. And that's why it's beautiful that he's taking his time to come back. Some beautiful long-suffering. You know, we always saying, even so come Lord Jesus. But he didn't come for a reason. And maybe it's because we're not ready. There's some work he needs us to do. So I'm going to say, Jesus, you come back when you feel I'm ready. And I want y'all to be coming with me. So we're going to just, Lord, when you're ready, I believe you're coming. And you can come at any moment. But I'm not going to rush your hand because you know all things. And the time you chose is the perfect time because then all your children that you want to be with you are going to be ready. So that's my prayer. Just let me be ready whenever that is. Are you that attached to Christ? Are all your nourishment, strength, and support from him? Do you have that kind of faith? Is your relationship tender and close? Are you abiding in the vine? Do you trust how he decides to create his church and what he wants it to look like? We are to be one with him. That means being one with his views and his plans. Not just saying that Jesus is all I need, but realizing that we are to be a source unto each other. That this is also his plan and his will. And if you remember the scripture, and I can't tell you where it's at, but he says, how you treat the least of them is how I see that you treat me. We should keep that in mind constantly. Because as we throw people off and we push people away and we say, but you're not good enough and you did X, Y, and Z so I can leave you alone and all that. How you treat the least of them is Jesus says, that's how you treat me. So I don't care what you do with everybody else that you think is worthy. But how you treat them is I say that is what you do to me. So the last part, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, it says, behold, all things are become new. So that is all things in the view of mine, the purposes of life, the filling of the heart, the principles of action, all become new. The understanding is consecrated to new objects. The body is employed in new service. The heart forms new attachments. All is new. There are new views of God and of Jesus Christ, new views of the world and of the world to come, new views of truth and of duty. And everything is seen in a new aspect and with a new feeling. That's why we have to transform our mind. But the renewing, you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind must become new. You can't hold on to the views you were raised with. 
You can't hold on to the way you see people. That stuff has to go away. You've got to get the mind of Christ. That's how you become like him. You got to swipe away all your ideologies, all your traditions, all your family culture. All of that has to go away and say, I have to become like Christ. Hard stuff to do. This stuff has been very much so ingrained in us, which is why we have to now ingrain with that same fervency this stuff. We don't have any time to be dealing with foolishness. So this isn't a scripture that you quote. Therefore, I become new. This is a scripture that you become. Have you become the scripture? This scripture requires faith. And we know that our faith is strengthened by our trials and our patience in them. So therefore, embrace your struggle. Learn from your sorrows. Carry each other's burdens. Seek justice. And do not allow this world mindset to keep you from the new view that God created. Aren't you ready to look in the mirror and say, behold, I am new. I'm finished.